0: Well, it's good to see you. I'm glad that um, that you're here this morning. I'm, I'm like uh, Pastor Kevin. I, I love it. My, my dad would say that in the morning. He goes, get up. We're getting ready to go to church. It would it'd be like a cheer thing when you get up. Get up. It's church time. It's, we're excited. We weren't always excited to get up and go to church, um, but he wanted us to be. But I'm glad that you're here and God has good things in store. Amen. Do you believe that? Well, I do want you to sign up for free indeed. We've said it. This will be the third time talking about this morning because it is so important. We want you to go. We want you to be a part of it. Um, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, the Bible says that. It's for freedom. Not, and, the, and the goal is not just freedom but to be like Jesus. Amen? And so I don't know if there's things that I, I do know. There's things that hold us back. So I want I want you to come out of whatever that is so you can walk in the freedom that Christ has paid for. Amen? Okay, this morning we have, I have a treat for you. Um, I, we, this morning, Keisha Russell, who is a lawyer, uh, one of their top lawyers at First Liberty is gonna be speaking to us this morning. And uh, she is amazing. We, uh, we've we met her uh, as friendship with uh, Colonel Allen West. And then we've just, Vanessa and I have been just walking with her uh, for quite some time. And so we love her. We've taken her as one of our own. And um, just to tell you a little bit about her, um, she is, not only is she sharp, but just here recently Recently, in the last few weeks, probably a month now, she stood or sat in with uh, in, in front of Congress and declared the reason why uh, uh, the Supreme Court justice that they just put in how that the CRT believing in CRT and the con- and the Constitution don't mix. And so she stood there and just and talked about that in front. I was so proud of her. I saw that, and she stood. I mean, how many know we need people to stand in the f- in the face of adversity? Because the enemy is trying to take, just trying to do whatever, but she has been one who has done that. And I'm gonna get a short video and then I'm gonna have her come up.
1: Good morning and thank you for the opportunity to testify. I'm a constitutional lawyer at First Liberty Institute. I'm here to explain how critical race theory may impact a judge's judicial philosophy. Critical theory teaches that all human relationships are relationships of power between the oppressors and the oppressed. The oppressor-oppressed lens of critical theory helped helped establish totalitarian ideologies such as Marxism and Nazism. While racism is alive in the hearts of many people in our country, it does not determine the outcome of any minority's educational, professional, or economic accomplishments. Ultimately, a judge should consider America's history as a lesson and a blueprint for why and how we must constantly seek to uphold and protect America's founding promises. Well, I love absolutely expanding religious freedom in schools and for students and for teachers and i just you know want to encourage everyone to stand up for themselves and not be bullied into silence we know that what we're doing is making a really huge impact i definitely feel compelled by god to work for first liberty as a lawyer
0: amen would you yeah just welcome keisha russell as she comes and speaks to us this morning
1: I'm not sure those steps are made for stilettos. <laughs> I recommend an, an elevator or something. <laughs> but um, I've never seen that video, so I'm, I'm touched that you guys would make like a video for me. That's really sweet. Um, so, like Pastor Chris said, I work for First Liberty Institute, and I think that you've heard from my leader, our fearless leader, our passionate leader, Kelly Shackelford. And um, I am so honored to work with him. He's such an amazing man of God and um, has led us to do some really, really amazing things at First Liberty. So my assignment here today, really, is to tell you about a war going on for religious freedom in our country and some of the stories about us representing Pastors and churches and rabbis and synagogues and students and teachers and coaches and all kinds of people all throughout the nation. And the second part of my assignment is to tell you how I arrived at First Liberty Institute. To tell you my story, to share my testimony, which is where I will begin. And so I did not grow up in a Christian household. I was saved somewhat miraculously. I went on a college tour at 17. And I went on a college tour at the Salvation Army. And unbeknownst to me, the Salvation Army is a church. <laughs> I did not know that when I went. And so they had these services uh, every night. And it, the tour was about 10 days. And I was saved on the third day of that tour very symbolic right and so in my joyous naivete of being a new christian i told god he could do whatever he wanted with my life (laughs) there was a particular scripture that really stood out i think at that point and it was isaiah 6 8 where the prophet says then i heard the voice of the lord saying Whom shall i send and who will go for us and i said here i am send me And I said to God, you can do that. You can send me wherever, you know, and I'll go. (laughs) And so I thought God was going to send me to some remote part of the world in some village. I would have to give up all my possessions. Isn't that what you think when you're like a Christian? You think like God's going to like do something like that. You're going to end up in some hut or something (laughs) in the middle of Africa preaching. (laughs) And I actually did do some missions, but ultimately God had a very different path. In store for me, and I ended up first on a domestic mission field in an elementary school classroom in Atlanta Public Schools. Now, God asked me to teach. I can tell you that I wasn't excited about it, because at the time, I wasn't really that fond of children. (laughs) I had babysat for pretty much the majority of my teenage years in my life, and frankly, I thought children were uncivilized. And I really didn't want to work with him. But I said, all right, God, I'm willing. All right, I'll go. And by this time, you're kicking yourself for the promise that you previously made, right, about saying, you can send me, I'll go. And so not only was I assigned to elementary school students, fourth and fifth graders, but I was assigned to special education elementary school students, to students that had ADHD, but also Emotional behavioral disorders and oppositional defiance disorder and kids that had been kicked out of the general education classroom because of their behavior. So not only did I have to teach kids, I had to teach bad kids. (laughs) I was like, God, what is this? But those kids ended up being transformative in my life and ended up being some of the most amazing students and children I still have ever met in my life. And so, I learned a lot of lessons teaching, but one of those was how to be used by God as an instrument, how to allow God to use me to impact someone else's life. Most of the kids that I taught, who were in fourth and fifth grade, as I said, couldn't read. So they were 10 years old and had passed from grade to grade and still couldn't read. And I don't know if you know this, but... By the time a a child is in the third grade, if they don't pass those reading tests, by 18, you know who to build a jail cell for. Those kids almost always end up in prison. And so their paths are set if they don't learn that skill. And many of the students that I taught who are diagnosed with those kinds of disorders never do learn that skill. They never do learn to read. And so most of them end up in prison by the time they're 18. And so God told me, I want you to free them, and I want you to take them on a different trajectory, completely change the path of their life. And he did that in many ways. And one of those stories I'll tell you, which is very subtle, but taught me a lot of lessons. So I'm the kind of person who, at that point in time, is very structured. Things had to be a certain way, and I'm in the middle of this lesson. We're about to transition, and one of the students comes up to me and they show me their paper. They say, Look, Miss Russell, look what I did. And I said, That's nice, dear. We're supposed to be in a lesson now. Have a seat. Have a seat. And he did this. And he went and sat down. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, I need you to love these kids. I need you to be excited for them. And it was one of the first lessons that I learned about why your emotions do not have to dictate your reaction. How you can still give someone a godly reaction and give them the reaction that God wants you to give them, despite what you may feel. And at the time, you know, I was very irritated with the administrative part of teaching. How many teachers are in here? How many educators? Okay, so you guys know that it's not the little people that are the problem, right? It's the big people, right? When you're teaching. And so, that was really the issue that I, was, that, that I was going through at the time, which is the reason why he got that reaction out of me. But God really taught me, I want you to give them the reaction that they need. So you're just going to have to put your emotions to the side. And I still use that, obviously, that lesson to this day. The other one I learned is that even though you feel inadequate for, something, for an assignment, that's actually the time when God wants to use you the most. And that's when you can learn the most. Because I felt completely inadequate for this assignment to teach these children when I had no plans of being an educator. I was a first-year teacher, and I was teaching this type of classroom. God had put me in this place, and he showed me that if he put you there, that he will equip you for it. And so you know what happens when you get comfortable, right? I was, like, really starting to get comfortable. And, Right around my third year of teaching, I thought I had this thing all figured out. Silly me, right? And I started to feel very compelled to go to law school that I was supposed to be an advocate for more people, that God wanted to give me a greater platform. Now I had no desire for that because teaching was already a stretch for me. It was already something I didn't really want to do, you know. But then again, back to this, promise that I made to God to be willing and so I said all right God well if you get me into a law school which I was sure would never happen right because I had made no preparation for law school I hadn't studied for this test this entrance exam and so I said if you get me into law school I'll go but there's no way he's getting me into law school <laughs> And so not long after, I'm sitting in my law school class (laughs) at Emory Law. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I end up here? How did I end up here? But one of the reasons why God wanted me to go to Emory Law was because Emory has a center for the study of law and religion. It's one of the few law schools in the country that has a program like that. And so while I believed that God was sending me to law school, perhaps to do more education law, you know, we have these expectations, which are almost always wrong when you're dealing with God, God had something very different in mind. So it was probably my second year of law school, I kind of immersed myself in the Center for the Study of Law and Religion, and a man by the name of Mark Goldfeder kind of took me under his wing and started coaching me and mentoring me in this area of law, which I didn't even know existed when I said yes to go to law school. I didn't even know the job that I have now existed <laughs> when I went to law school. And so during that time, we, me and the small team that we had, we took some small cases. And we ended up doing a lot of really amazing things, including doing research for the United Nations, writing about Israel. Um, So I went all the way from a special education classroom to doing research presented at the United Nations. And that's in the third year of law school by this point. So then we're at about April 2017 now, and I'm about to graduate. And because of all the work I had been doing in religious liberty and with this particular professor, I had been offered a lot of jobs jobs with the federal government, private sector, offered a lot of money, and God said no to each one of those opportunities. He wouldn't allow me to take any of them. Which, as you can imagine, was irritating. (laughs) Because I thought for sure, well, here's my reward now. I mean, make him a lawyer, I can make all this money. I mean, that's why we're doing this, right? No, that's not why we were doing it. And so about three weeks before graduation I got a call from a very bright and cheery woman in Texas whose name was, uh, well I won't tell you her name, so you can't look her up, but she worked for First Liberty and she said, hey we got your application and we know you want to work for our summer internship program, and I'm thinking, application? I didn't apply to work for any place in Texas, why would I do that? She said, no, no, we, we, we've got your application. And, you know, we said, you said you went to work for our summer internship program. I'm thinking, I don't remember doing this. And so eventually they offered me a summer internship. And they told me, look, we can only offer you a summer internship. We're paying you this much money. And we are not going to give you a job after the summer internship. Why? Because we don't hire new grads. And you're new. You need about three to five years of experience to work for First Liberty, and you don't have that. So don't expect a job. And God said yes to this job. Not the federal government jobs, not the private sector jobs, the ones paying all this money. He said yes to this uncertain job in Texas. (laughs) Of all places. I had never been to Texas, so... I can assure you I know better now. But then I did not. And so I was in a place of transition, another transition, another risky transition. And I was not excited. And at the time, I was going through a lot of really hard things. The moment I started that internship, I was... Studying full-time for the bar exam and working full-time. So that means my days were 10 to 12 hours long. A week before I took the bar exam, my mentor died. I watched her die. She died of cancer. And then two months later, a friend from law school committed suicide. A week or two later, we got the bar exam results, and I found out I passed. And then First Liberty, out of nowhere, says, look, you know, we really think you're great, and we know we don't normally do this, but we'd actually like to hire you as a full-time lawyer at First Liberty. And so in the middle of all this turmoil and grief, there's also these great things happening at the same time. And so by October 2017, I'm in this place, this dichotomy inside, right? You pass the bar exam, you've got a job, but then you're grieving and you have to leave Atlanta and your friends and your family. And right before I left, a close family member who was only 19 also died of a blood clot in her lungs. So in the space of about five months, three people in my life died. And so November 2017 comes, and I'm driving to Texas to move there full-time. And I am just weeping and upset, and I can tell you that I-20 was saturated with my tears. But on one end, I was, my flesh was resistant and grieving, And scared to death to go to the state where I knew no one and no friends and no family. But at the same time, I could feel that my spirit was excited and hopeful and knew that if God was putting me through all this just to move me to this place, that he had something special that he was going to do. And so these two conditions were at work in me at that time, conflicted. And so that is the condition I was in when I started working at First Liberty Institute as a lawyer. So one of my first cases, how many of you guys know that God doesn't waste anything (laughs) in your life? So one of my first cases was defending a student, a 14-year-old girl by the name of Hannah Allen in Texas, Her and her friends in middle school were in the lunchroom when you're able to get together and pray and talk and do whatever. They decided they were going to get together and pray for a classmate who had been in a car accident. So a few of them get together and pray, and the principal comes over and says, Y'all don't do that again. And upon examining why the principal had said that, it was determined that He didn't think anyone should see them when they prayed. And if they wanted to pray, they needed to go outside or on the stage behind the curtain or away from the eyesight of the other students. And so Hannah, at 14, thought this was wrong and thought she should stand up for herself. And so they called us. We wrote a letter to the school, did a little press. You'll be surprised at how sobering Fox News can be for a school district. And so, they allowed her and her friends to pray. And eventually, we asked Hannah to come and speak at one of our events. And someone, in particular, saw Hannah Allen and wanted to tell her story. And that someone was President Donald Trump. And so, Hannah Allen, at 15 by this point, was invited to go to the White House. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't this cool at 15. (laughs) I was not. And so she stood up next to the president of the United States while he signed an executive order protecting prayer, student prayer in schools. And she told her story to the entire nation, told them what had happened to her, told them what we did for her. And just because she was willing to take that one stand, that one step, God gave her a huge platform, which taught me a lot, too. Even though, like I said, at at 15, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. And Hannah was painfully shy. So this was completely contradictory to her own feelings and her own emotions, right? But she did it anyway. She was willing. Now after you sort of publicly out your school district about something like that, as you can imagine, they're not going to take it well. And they did not. And so, only a couple weeks later, Hannah Allen's sitting in class and the teachers start passing out this letter to all the kids. The superintendent had written a letter to all the students and parents in the district and passed it out while Hannah was sitting in class, basically saying that she was a liar. And she was publicly ridiculed and ostracized. And really, what was going on there is a bullying effect, right? Letting everyone else know, don't you ever stand up against our school district again. And so Hannah and her mom. I'm walking with her through this thing, which is difficult because she's young. And her mom tells me that Hannah has decided, even though her mom was offered, for her to switch schools. And she says, I'm not gonna switch schools because I want every time I walk through those hallways, I want them to know what they did. And I want them to remember that I stood up for the truth and so I'm not going anywhere. Hannah Allen two other clients I'll tell you about very quickly Um, Gail Blair who is a blind woman who while many of us would make excuses about why we cannot be used because we do not have sight she used it as an opportunity to walk to the park which is right across the street from our home and start preaching and evangelizing and passing out the gospel of John to people as they come, and the government banned her from the park and told her she couldn't do that anymore, and so we were able to help her and get her back in the park after many months of not being able to do it, and so she's still there, and from what I hear, one of the government officials who was most against her is now attending her church. <laughs> yeah. And finally, I'll tell you about Coach Kennedy. Coach Kennedy. So we've been fighting Coach Kennedy's case for seven years. I was in law school when my firm picked up Coach Kennedy's case. Now, Coach Kennedy was a high school school football coach in Bremerton, Washington State, right? And Coach, after the football games, he would go out to the 50-yard line and say a prayer, take a knee, take his own little private silent prayer, and did it for a few years. Occasionally, people would join him. Sometimes they wouldn't. And the school district banned him from doing it and eventually fired him. And so we had to sue and really didn't think, from what I understand, this was going to go this far. We thought we'd be able to work this out. Seven years later, seven years later, Coach Kennedy is still fighting and in litigation. But tomorrow the U.S. Supreme Court will hear Coach Kennedy's case. And Coach Kennedy has an opportunity to set a legal standard for people all over the country because, of, because he was willing, because he was willing to take a stand, even though it cost him his livelihood, his job, money, everything. And it has cost them that for seven years. Being willing requires courage, obviously, requires taking a risk, even though life is risky. One of my favorite motivational speakers says, life is so risky that no one gets out alive. (laughs) And God has taken even first liberty to the next level and asked us to take even bigger risks and be even more courageous. And one of the ways in which he's done that is to ask us to vet judges. Why, is, why are judges, judges important? Well, do you know that North Korea has a constitution that says you have freedom of religion and free speech? Did you know that? Well, they do. But a constitution means nothing if nobody enforces it. Right? It doesn't mean anything if the government pretends it doesn't exist. So that's why judges matter. Because if we have judges that are not going to uphold those standards, then we won't have them anymore. And so we started vetting judges and we started this during the Trump administration and would look at their opinions and we would read everything and we would send our reports out and we didn't approve, we were bipartisan, we didn't approve of every judge, or of every potential pick. we would look at the judge's opinions and we would decide, is this judge gonna uphold the Constitution? And so that's what we did in this last cycle. When Joe Biden decided to nominate Judge Jackson to the bench, and I was asked to go and talk about her views. Now we opposed her for more reasons than just critical race theory But that was what I was asked to talk about. Now I knew the backlash that was going to come, but I still wasn't ready. How many of you know you can be prepared for something and know it's coming, but still not be ready for it? I've heard some of you tell me that that's true about marriage, but. (laughs) And so I walked into this situation a then, of sorts, politically. Because many people are going to expect me to stand by someone because of the way they look. To evaluate her based on her appearance. Because of my appearance. And not give her the neutral evaluation that she deserves. Which is what First Liberty did. And so after all is said and done, and I gave his testimony, which was, to date, the most terror I've ever felt in my life. Scared from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Scared. And after it was over, and I'm hearing about all all these horrible things people are saying about me, and I'm sitting on the couch at home, and I said, Well, God, you really messed up this time, didn't you?
0: This is a fine
1: pickle we're in. I reckon you've miscalculated, God. And by this time, you know I'm a real Texan because now I say stuff like reckon, right? So I've been fully grafted in to this Texas thing, right? I'm one of you now. But it was a lot, I was in pain. For days, up and down, got counsel from many wise people, including your own fearless leader here. And after it, God showed me what a gift it was to go through such public ridicule. He showed me that now I could walk unafraid and that I could stand boldly because what else are they going to (laughs) say now, right? I mean, it's already been said. So now God can really use me, which honestly I'm kind of scared of, given what has already happened, because God only knows what I'm signed up for. Let me just tell you, when you tell God he can do whatever he wants to do with your life, read the fine print. Read that. I didn't read the fine print. I didn't read the many are the afflictions of the righteous. I didn't read that part. I remembered Resurrection Sunday but forgot Friday (laughs) but it's part of the package and and these are the things that strengthen you and keep you strong these are the things that strength that strengthen First Liberty keep First Liberty strong one of the most amazing things about our organization is that we're able to keep the road clear for the gospel And we do that for every single one of our clients, including Coach Kennedy, whose case we've been fighting for 70 years, for free. They have never paid a dime for our services because our God blesses us with these generous donors who help us provide that kind of legal service to our clients. And so my question to you is, are you willing Well, we'll find out. (laughs) Because I can guarantee you, God is going to give you an opportunity to show Him if you're willing. Thank you for watching this message with us. We truly hope that it was a blessing to you. And if it was, would you hit that like button and also subscribe so you can see our content in the future? We'll see you on the next one.